Drew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour Podcast coming up in a few. Anthony Babineau, assistant coach for the Raging Cajun baseball team, will join me one more time this year uh, as we take a look back at the season and take a look ahead. He's been joining me Wednesdays throughout the season. I will tell you in a few minutes why yesterday was one of those days from a work standpoint where technology is great until it's not. I had one of those scenarios yesterday where had something good and it was just, it's gone now, forever. It's out there. Not in the internet, not in the, the metaverse. No, it's just, it's just gone. Uh, but before we get started on that, the LA Angels yesterday, who had actually gotten off to a good start this year, and you're thinking, man, are they finally going to, to get it done here. Are they finally going to be in the mix? You got, you know, Tony, you got Mike Trout, you've got a decent team, and then they just started losing. And then they started losing more. And then they lost a dozen in a row, and then they fired Joe Madden. I mean, they were 10 games above 500 two weeks ago. Now they're, now they're two games under 500. It was a franchise record for a season to lose 12 in a row. So the Angels, who were sitting pretty, just like that, boom, after two weeks, are in danger of missing the postseason for the eighth consecutive year, even with an expanded postseason field. Madden, three-time manager of the year, was in his third season. How does something go so bad so quickly? I don't know. That potent offense, good starting pitching, and then out of nowhere, you just lose 12 in a row and your run differential is minus 43 and your AL ERA goes to 6.31, which is dead last. By the way, in Major League Baseball history, no team has lost 12 consecutive games and made the playoffs. But you now have 12 teams under the new CBA, so maybe they'll be the first. Who knows? Shout out the Mets, by the way. Despite the injuries, they just keep rolling. Eduardo Escobar. Getting the cycle day before last. You love to see it. You love to see it. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. NBA Finals, game three tonight in Boston. You can hear it on our airwaves. Pre-game at seven, tip-off at eight. As uh, the Celtics and the Nets, excuse me, the Celtics and the Nets, the Celtics and the Warriors go at it. I think, you know, Boston hadn't exactly been like, home dogs this year. Yet they're a three and a half point favorite to win tonight. Three and a half points. It'll be rocking, but you're giving me three and a half for the Warriors. I'll take the three and a half. And hopefully we get a close game. Lynn Burton will have plenty for you tomorrow morning on tonight's game. He'll be filling in for me tomorrow morning. I'll be out. Coming up on today's show, mention Andrew Juge, Anthony Babbitt on the eight o'clock hour, Troy Winger, UL Director of Football Operations, the man who's uh, behind has been touched by Brian Mitchell's, the top of Brian Mitchell's hands plenty of times. He used to be a center for the Cajuns, for those who don't know the reference. But, yay, he'll join me. Dr. Troy Wingerter, a number of things we're going to talk about. That's at the end of this hour. Right now, you're going to hear Rage of Cajun Baseball head coach Matt Deggs. Now, here's, here's, here's the backstory. Coach Deggs, they're, uh, they're, they're going through exit interviews right now. And he was kind enough to make some time for me yesterday. They had met with 
the seniors. Uh, they had a team meeting, and then they were going to begin doing exit interviews individually with each player, uh, you know, for, for the rest of this week. And he squeezed me, and he made some time, and I went in there, and I have an app on my phone, and usually that's, you know, when I'm, when I'm not here, that's what I use when I am outside of the office to record things. We had a great conversation about a lot of things. And the app decided to cut off most of it. I have no idea why. I mean, I was, I was, uh, I had one of my kids with me. He's in the waiting room. I'm in the office. We leave. We got to go pick up my other two kids. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I got 16 minutes of great audio here. Coach Deggs and I really kind of opened it up, talked about a number of things. We got deep on a certain level. The audience should enjoy this. It's, it's eye-opening in some ways. And then I go to look at the audio. I go to put the system. I'm like, where is it? I have no idea. No idea. <sighs> well, it's gone. Not all of it. I'm going to play uh, what I have for you here, and then I will tell you guys secondhand how the rest of the conversation went. It just ain't the same when you hear it from me secondhand, but I'll tell you. In the meantime, here is the four and a half minutes of conversation Coach Deggs and I had. As far as the rest of the conversation, I'll fill you in on what we talked about. This is Coach Matt Deggs, Rage Occasion Baseball Coach on ESPN Lafayette. Great Scott Show. ESPN Live, he had the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. This is the Great Scott Show. I am uh, sitting down and Rage Occasion head baseball coach Matt Dakes' office. We're recording this a uh, couple of days removed from the end of the season. Uh, I know, Coach, you know, first off, the season that was, man, um, how, how long does it take you to move on from one season to the next? Mm, that's a great question. It's, uh, you know, it varies from team to team and, and ones that you really get emotionally attached to and uh, experience a lot of success with. It's hard. And you go through a depression or, you know, a period of sadness for two, three weeks, maybe a month. And uh, But you got to start moving on, right? Because the game doesn't stop and, uh, you know, it's just going to keep going. And so these days are tough. We just finished meeting with the seniors and with the team, and, and uh, we'll meet with everybody else one at a time tomorrow. Uh, and so those days are always hard. And, uh, you know, and then ultimately you got to flip the switch and, and start making plans. The good news for us is the future is obviously bright, and uh, we're going to return a, a bulk of, uh, you know, this ball club that wound up being pretty good. What, what is a typical exit interview like with Coach Deggs? I'm sure it varies from player to player, but I'm sure you also have kind of a checklist of things as well. Yeah, it just depends, right? Uh, you know, it's gonna it, it's it's gonna start with you know how did your year go and and where do you see yourself and uh, you know where can we improve? Uh, where what are we really good at? Uh, where can you improve and uh, you know, so there's, it's, uh, it's, it's very relational, our program, but at the same time, uh, a lot of those meetings, too, are, are business-related. And, you know, this is what you need to do moving forward. And, uh, you know, because this is where we see you or this is where we don't see you. And, and uh, so uh, those are tough, uh, but a lot of times fruitful as well. Coach Matt Deggs, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. Um, 
you know, for for a senior, you mentioned talking to the seniors. Is that as a group generally, or is that a, a one-on-one goodbye? What is that like? One at a time, and uh, you know, so we had a team meeting, and uh, this team's very, very close. So I bet the first hour and a half of the meeting was just guys standing up and talking. No matter who you are, I mean, it's just something we do. Everybody talks, and uh, then all the seniors gave some parting words one at a time and uh, you know we finished our team meeting and those meetings are especially coming off a year like this this is where we got this is what could have actually been and this is where we need to get better to get to where we want to go and uh, so the really the grind never stops and you only have five minutes to enjoy a championship and then it's next next and uh, but this is, that was a good meeting. That was a, uh, nobody wanted to leave. Everybody hung around. And, uh, then we met with, you know, the seven seniors. You, you said a number of times I heard, um, Julian Brock say it as well after the game on Sunday, you know, how will the 2022 team be remembered? And you, and you guys, the message essentially was a team that brought grit back, you know, that sort of brought the program back to where it needed to be. I've heard that from a number of folks that have followed the program very closely for years. What What is like some specificity as far as where that program, I guess, maybe was when you got here to where it is now? Ooh. It's hard to explain a Cajun baseball, or I was going to say a Cajun. It's hard to explain Cajun baseball unless you've seen it mm-hmm. and experienced it. And when you see and that's when it cut off right there. Unbelievable. As he was saying, right, it's hard to describe what Cajun baseball means for those that haven't seen it. But if you see it, you know what it is. And essentially, he explained that at the end of the day, a lot of different ways you used to describe it. But you know you're going to be playing a team that is tough as nails are going to give every single thing they got. I also talked to him about setting expectations high, right? He said after the, the loss to TCU on Sunday, he told the team, he said to all the returning players, this time next year, give or take a week or two and a year, we're going to walk through the gates of Omaha. So what is it going to take to do that? He said, well, obviously, you know, we, we need some more bullets. You know, having great chemistry, the team playing together, playing like a wolf pack, having each other's back, that that is what you have to do to win, and that will get you so far. But you still have to have the bullets to do it. Um, you know, he said you can't go. I don't remember what he said. You can't go into a gunfight with a tomahawk, something like that. And I, I don't remember. Or you can't go. You know, you can't go hunting for <laughs> hunting for. I don't remember what happened. He he used the great. See again, this is the stuff that's lost. I, I was. It took me a while to get. I'm probably still not over it. Uh, we talked about Top Gun Maverick. Maybe that's a good thing that got cut off because Top Gun was Coach Deggs' favorite movie. He actually thinks Top Gun Maverick is even better, but he also had a little spoiler in there. So those who haven't seen it, we're not going to do that for you. Um, and, and, and I talked to him about you know, his intensity and how it takes folks a little while to, once they get to know him, to realize when he's kind of joking and keeping things loose. And when he's serious, I mean, because when someone's intense and serious, you start to maybe think, man, are they like that all the time? And obviously Coach Deggs isn't. And and, and I, I recall the story when, you know, the first time he came into this building several years ago to record something with me, 
I had him read a liner that we were going to make. A liner of basically, yeah, you just coach Matt Deggs. You're listening to ESPN Lafayette, blah, blah, blah. And he started to read something, and he acted like he couldn't read some simple words. And then he looked up at me, and I realized he was just joking around. Um, and and he, you know, he's he's actually got a good sense of humor. He's like, you know, it's it it it, it takes time. He said, I realize I'm not an easy coach to play for you. We demand a lot here. But ask anybody that's played for me and stayed here, wherever it be, whether it be here, whether it be you know, it's Sam Houston, and uh, they'll tell you it, it comes from nothing but a place of love. And once you're around it enough, you realize when, you know, it's time to sort of keep it loose, when it's time to make jokes, even in the eye of the storm, so to speak. He said, I told the guys Sunday, you know, we accomplished something we no one else did. We, we had Will Vayon hit a, hit a bouncer, and then they all laughed. But, um, you know, I, I again, I'm, I apologize. I don't know what happened at the... the, the the app that I used to record stuff on my phone had never done that before. It had never cut off audio, and it just decided to cut off about 80% of Coach Deggs and I's one-on-one conversation. Uh, I'm glad you got to hear some of it, and I apologize you didn't get to hear uh, a lot of it. On that note, we're going to take a timeout, shift gears. Going to talk some Saints football next. Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast is going to join me. Jarvis Landry, the fit. What Saints are on the hot seat the most. Who is facing the most make-or-break season? Who is under the most pressure? We're going to get into that. Troy Wingerter after that, and Anthony Babineau in studio in the 8 o'clock hour. This is The Great Scott Show. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Into the great Scott show. Andrew Juge is on line one with us this segment from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. And, uh, you know, the big show this week from the Saints Happy Hour podcast, Andrew, did not feature one Ralph Malbro. I don't know how many, po- I mean, look, Saints Happy Hour podcast has been around since people didn't realize podcasts were even a thing. When when it when Ralph first started putting it together, I, I don't know how many episodes they've had all time, but how many of them has he not been on? And why do you feel like those are always the best ones? <laughs> well, I was just thinking that that was probably our greatest show ever last night. Uh, but yeah, I think look, he's missed like I, I've done maybe some one-off shorter episodes and things like that, but without him. But as far as I know, that's the first big show he's ever missed. Uh, so that was our first time doing it. I had to be the host. Uh, so you would think that I would do a better job just all these years than listening to Ralph. But, you know, at times it was mediocre. But we got through it, and uh, I'd like to think we're all better off. And, and yeah, look, I, so, some people have told me that was the best show ever. So we may just uh, – we were talking on the show last night if we can get Ralph detained and keep him in France. Uh, we may just keep rolling with this format. When the cat is away, the mice play, as y'all put it. Which is, which you know, I mean, Ralph is a cat. Well, look, we're we're just ribbing him. Obviously, you know, he's he's very close to you. He's a friend of mine, and and he's done great things with the podcast. But we gotta, we gotta. I mean, we gotta get our licks in when we can. I mean, I think the fact <laughs> that, first of all, let me before I, say, are you a dog or cat person? 
Uh, 100% dog. I, right, I have good. I have a dog, and I refuse to ever have a cat. That's right, house. right. I think I think that's the correct answer. I think really the thing that I I might hold most against Ralph is the fact that he's a cat guy. Like that's that's <laughs> alarming. You know, if it, as as host of the Saints Happy Hour podcast, whenever you just need to take a dig at him. You know, he'll get a few defenders here and there, but I, I don't even need to look at the stats. I guarantee you most of your listeners are dog people before cat people. 100%. And I, and I feel like if there, there's got to be, if you're a cat guy, a lot of times you have to worry there might be something boiling under the surface a little bit. Right. What's he keeping in his freezer? That kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, he would tell you it's just, you know, some old cash he won from some bet years ago, but really it's just some kind of shady thing, some scheme. Maybe he has some old. Why? I, I I just I hope he gets back from France safe. But no, it was, it was, um, it was fun to hear, folks. If you don't listen, do it now. Saints Happy Hour podcast. Go subscribe. Have fun. I know y'all have a lot of listeners here uh, in the Acadiana area. But you know, you guys talked a lot about Jarvis Landry, and you know, from his time with the Dolphins to his time with the dog pound in the Browns with the exception of last year as he, as he played through injury, you know, he's been, he's just been a, a, a constant pro. He's been one of the best slot receivers in the game. And I feel, I, I've got a number of thoughts on Jarvis Landry and, and as it relates to Jameis Winston, but I, I hope, I hope it, it works out great. Jarvis Landry had been on the saints years ago, right? When they decided to roll with Stanley Jean Baptiste he he was like he's the perfect player for like Drew Brees, and I'm not trying to say Drew Brees is coming back. He's not. I just mean he, he his style playing in the slot, the short to intermediate route between the numbers, perfect. Right? How is he going to be with Jameis Winston in a Saints offense in your mind? Well, I, I think he just uh, gives Jameis another guy that runs terrific routes a guy that can get open, right? Which, which is something they didn't get a lot out of their receivers last year. Um, you know, he's a guy with terrific hands that's going to catch the ball. And, and so I, I will say he, he's kind of a more of a intermediate move the chains kind of receiver, not that different from Michael Thomas. And, and I will say his style of play maybe doesn't suit uh, Jameis Winston as much as it would suit Drew Brees' style. So I, I agree with you there. And But, look, I, I think receiver was so bad a year ago that the Saints can't afford to be picky in terms of style. You, you get a guy that can run routes and can catch great any way you slice it. And so I'm uh, very glad, obviously, to see Jarvis Landry. And all reports are he's looking good in camp so far. I, I, I'll give you this. I, I think it's easy. My thoughts on Jarvis Landry, and first of all, his contract, one year, $3 million, I think it escalates up to maybe five if he – or maybe six if he hits his bonuses and, and gets the statistics and doesn't get injured. But my, my main feeling about Landry is if you look at last year, first of all, a lot of people will look at the box score, they'll look at his stats, and they'll say, oh, well, he's clearly in decline. He's clearly a receiver who had his worst year last year. By the way, he had 50 catches, which would be number one on the Saints. Yeah. Um, but, but I digress. But 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 he you know he had a down year last year and I think it's easy to say well he he's washed up but first of all he missed a bunch of games with an injury if you look at his performance in the games that he played it's on pace pretty much with what he's done in his career so statistically if you take away the missed games his performance per game was still kind of in line with what he's done in his career 
And I think it's important to remember that last year, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield had statistically one of the worst seasons of his career. Uh, he really struggled through, through a, a shoulder injury, his throwing shoulder, where he really struggled to perform at his normal level. So Baker Mayfield was kind of terrible last year. I think he was very limited in what he could do. And it's important to remember that Jarvis Landry was the number one pass catcher. And behind him was Austin Hooper and Njoku. So uh, I think it was one of those things where it was possession passing game kind of throughout because he could not go vertical. Uh, The last game of the season, I watched all of Jarvis Landry's tape last year to kind of see how he moved, how he looked. His last game of the season, and I'm I'm doing this from memory, but but I remember Case Keenum started the last game. They decided to show they played a meaningless game. And week 18, which is the most recent tape that we have to look at with Landry, I think he had six catches, 86 yards, one touchdown. He had his best game of the season pretty much. Uh, he was moving fantastic. Uh, and, and I think it was one of those things where having a quarterback, in case Keenum, look, he's a backup, he's a journeyman, he's been in the league for a while, but the fact that they finally had a quarterback in that offense that could go vertical after Mayfield really couldn't for the latter half of the season – you saw the difference that made in the impact that Landry could have on the field. And it translated in him having one of his best games of the season. So I, I think if you're Saints fans, I, I would leave you with that as kind of a parting gift of hope that statistically he's not on the decline. He's not a guy that's moving backwards because the one game last year at the very end when he was healthy and he had a quarterback that could go vertical, he put up the same numbers he always does. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Andrew Juge, our guest from the Saints Happy Hour podcast, at Andrew Juge on Twitter. You can give him a follow. I I feel like statistically, and, and you watch the film, and it's one of the reasons I love bringing you on to talk Saints ball from time to time. Jameis Winston statistically in his career has been more productive throwing outside the numbers. Um, he's had production on the field. We know about the turnovers and that goes without being said right from his time in Tampa Bay but I think when when people say what's the key when people ask me what's the key to 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 Jameis going from short-term quarterback to long-term quarterback right because right now that's all he is he's the short-term starter doesn't mean he can't be the long-term one but he this year a lot will hinge on this season right a lot of people are going to immediately say well the turnovers turnovers my thing is like yes right that goes without being said the turnovers that's part of it but for me, the top of the list is can he consistently get it done to intermediate routes between the numbers? Jarvis Landry, you got him. Michael Thomas, I know you know people somehow uh, use the fact that he is the best slant runner in the league as some you know detriment to him when it, in reality it's it's a compliment, and he does more than that. But it is what it is, right? It's it's kind of kind of taken on a life of its own on social media. But the point is. He is very good in that regard. And and those guys can do other things. I'm not insinuating that they can't. My thing is, they do those things so well. And now that, you know, one, two, and three receivers last year are four, five, and six, what, the receivers have improved. Can Jameis excel in that area of the field with these guys? Because he has the talent around him now. If he can do that, Andrew, I really feel like the rest of the passing offense will open up in big ways. I think if he can excel in that area, and I'm not talking about Drew Drew Brees' levels of excelling. I mean, he was the most accurate passer of all time. But if he can be 
good there, right? If he can be above average there, I think the, a lot of the other stuff will follow. I Am I putting too much emphasis? Am I going overboard by putting that at the top of the list when someone asks me, hey, Jameis Winston, is he the short-term starter or is he the long-term starter? Well, by short-term, I mean this season. Long-term, I mean, you know, this season and obviously beyond this season. So, what, is me having it at the top of the list? Am I am I overstating the importance of that, or am I just are the Saints looking at it that way? Am I just am I overanalyzing here? No, I, I think you're spot on. I think first of all, if the Saints felt like Jameis was the future, that he wouldn't have the contract that he has. So I think the contract that he has speaks volume of what the Saints think about him currently, and I think it speaks volumes with the, of what the league thinks about him currently. And so it's really up to Jameis to change that narrative. Now, in terms of setup, you said it. I, I think, look, if you're ever going to excel in the short and intermediate passing, having Michael Thomas back, hopefully, having Jarvis Landry, having Alvin Kamara, that sets you up for success about as well as any skill position group out there. So if he fails in those responsibilities, I, I think it rings pretty loud and clear based on the weapons that he has hopefully at his disposal this year and what an upgrade that is, as you said, compared to last year. Last year, I, I still think at the end of the day, and, and I've been told this by sources, the Saints' plan is to really change what they do offensively. Last year, we saw it. The training wheels were on. Jameis Winston's responsibilities were purely don't turn it over. That's it. That's your whole job description. And so – we saw him second-guess a lot of the throws that he normally would, would try to go for in Tampa. We saw him manage games. Uh, he, he, I don't, that's not him. That's not his skill set, and I think the Saints recognize that. So when they decided to bring him back, it's really, hey, let's go out and get guys that can complement what he does best. And, and I do think that Jameis Winston is one of the best play-action passers in the league. Uh, when, when he has time to throw, when he has good protection, and when play action is set up properly with a strong running game and a good defense. So, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where Chris Olave, as, as a weapon that can stretch the field, it, is going to be significant for him. He's, that's going to be a downfield option for him. I think DR, Deontay Hardy may get more opportunities in this offense. If they set up play action, the Saints will get more vertical. So I actually think this offense will be going away from kind of the possession passing. And, and I think in a lot of ways, I think we'll, we'll see less of an emphasis on that stuff, which I think plays nicely into Jameis Winston's skill set and what he does best. So, look, it, it's going to come down to consistency. It's going to come down to how well he can play with, with these weapons. That is, this, I expect him to have more interceptions this year. I expect him to take more risks. Uh, will it be an acceptable number of mistakes based on the plays that he's making? As always, uh, that's the million-dollar question. But I think the training wheels are coming off this year. I think they're absolutely saying, hey, Jameis, you go out and you do it. You go for it. And, and let's see where things land. And I think at the end of the season, we will see either a Jameis Winston where, hey, they, they, they supported him with weapons, they took the training wheels off, and they empowered him to go out there and be the best version of himself. And if he succeeds, I think what's waiting for him on the other side of that, whether it's with the Saints or someone else, is a massive contract and the opportunity to start in the league, potentially for the next several years. Uh, 
if he fails, I believe that he is then relegated to journeyman backup, yeah. probably for the rest of his career. And and at that point, he's hoping for an injury where he maybe gets another shot. But at this point, I, I think this is it for him. No doubt. Uh, if if he succeeds this year, I think he, he becomes a starter for years to come. If he fails this year or, you know, if if he's just average or slightly below average, um, then he's, you know, I think he's Mike Glennon, Geno Smith type territory, right? You know, occasional starter, but really in, incumbent at best, usually a backup, right? I think that's where he ends up. And this is make or break for him. And, you know, I, way too much was made of the fact that he had a limp. Of course he did. It's six months removed from surgery. I think the I think talking about the injury and, and questioning Will he come back from it? It's a fair question, right? Will it impact him at all? We'll we'll have a better answer to that by the time you know we get to August and obviously early September. But this is it because the Saints, the NFC isn't isn't as strong as the AFC. Obviously, um, you you did obviously the Saints have a good defense. I think they have a I think they have great special teams, Andrew. I think last year Will Lutz's absence was was huge, right? If he's if he's around, you know they're probably a playoff team because there were a couple of games in there, but. Outside of the kicking carousel minus Will Lutz, the rest of the special teams was solid. JT Gray's a first team AP All Pro, right? He's they they've they're good there. They're good on defense. Offensively, I was admittedly so overly critical and flabbergasted by their lack of anything for the first couple of weeks. And Ralph and I had that in common, and really the first month, and really didn't do much in free agency. But post draft. You know, the later signings, Matthew, I know that's defense, but obviously Jarvis Landry at $3 million. Are you kidding me? It could get up to 6 mil, but what a steal that was. Um, I, I think this team, they feel like they compete now. I I think a lot of it comes down to Jameis, but when I look at the offense, if you told me to say, okay, what are the, the weakest parts of this roster, I would still look at that side of the ball. I think tight end, we don't we don't know what Taysom Hill's gonna be full time there. I hope he's great. I think he's an incredible athlete, but I think it's a question mark. And then at running back, minus Alvin Kamara. I I love Mark Ingram. I do. He's well past his prime, Andrew. And depending on what happens with Kamara and potentially being suspended for a number of games, I, I have questions there. You said it earlier, right? Jameis Winston has excelled in his career on play action. Right. Well, play action works when you have a good run game. And obviously when you have Alvin Kamara and if he's suspended for a number of games, those are the tight end running back. I'm kind of looking at those spots and I'm thinking, I I don't know, man. When you look at this roster as a whole, Andrew, and you watch the film, what are the areas that you're most concerned about right now on this Saints? Yeah, well, I mean, if you told me I, I could have one thing work out and be terrific for the Saints this year. You could promise me one thing that, that over-delivers. I would pick the play of the offensive line. To me, that's still the big question mark. Because Look, Alvin Kamara getting suspended and whether Tony Jones or Abram Smith, you know, whoever gets reps if Alvin Kamara ends up getting suspended, all these receivers we've talked about, none of it really matters. I, I think the most impactful thing that you can have to help all those things succeed. Jameis Winston, or sorry, Taysom Hill at tight end. It all boils down how the offensive line plays up front. Because I, And we talked about this on the podcast last night. I, I mentioned that you know, I, I think this offense, if Taylor Penning, Trevor Penning works out at left tackle, and if Cesar Ruiz makes strides and, and increases his level of play at right guard, 
I think this offensive line can be really special. I'm talking top 10. We know Eric McCoy is a great player. We know Ryan Ramchick is an elite right tackle. Andrews Pete, you know, he's a guy where I look at him at left guard. He, he's played at, at a Pro Bowl level in the past, but we know he's had an injury history. We know he's a bit up and down. And so, to me, guard is a huge question mark for this team because Pete is coming back from an injury. You hope that he can kind of regain some of his highest level, but we know he's going to be a bit up and down. And then Ruiz on the other side, to me, is a huge question mark. So, look, I, I think if Penning, Penning, it really starts with him because I think if Penning can come in day one, he can start week one against the Falcons and play at a high level, then you have a joker in, in James Hurst, a veteran who is a solid player that you trust at multiple positions. And then if Ruiz can't cut it or if Pete is, gets injured again, then you, you can put you can plug in Hurst and you know that he can hold it down at those spots. Uh, but if you get in a position where Penning just isn't ready and you're forced to start Hurst at left tackle – to me, then you're really dealing with a situation where you're hanging on by a thread because one injury to Pete or Ruiz continuing to really struggle uh, really puts them in a tough position where one injury and it folds like a house of cards. So to me, the offensive line is the, is the one area that can really support it. And, and I think if all things, if the stars align, this can be a top 10 offensive line. And that's if Ruiz turns a corner and Penning ends up being the left tackle of the future. Uh, it's the worst case scenario of Penning is a bust and Ruiz continues oh, yeah. to you're fail in, you're in at, at being a right guard. I think you're in big trouble. I think we're talking about then maybe a, a bottom ten offensive line. It's funny. I have an article. I'm, I'm dry, it's an article. It's you know it's it's a it's it's more of a yeah. I guess it is an article. It'll be on our website Friday. But the absolute worst trades in Saints history, and I'm you know some are more recent than others. Some are from year one. Some you know people remember well, but. When when looking at him, it's like a, a trade can really fast forward a process for a team if you're on the right side of it, and man, it can set you back so far if you're on the wrong side of it. And if if Trevor Penning doesn't work, you factor in the fact that okay, they gave up trades to move around, and I know people look at Alave more as part of that, but you know they they made trades to get two first round picks, so. They're kind of both going to be connected there one way or the other. You just, boy, and, and on a first rounder where if you hit on the, so you, you, you factor in the trade aspect of it, of giving something up. Then you also factor in the value you get. I think the most valuable players, not in, in the traditional terms of who the Associated Press is going to vote for MVP, but in terms of bang for your buck, in terms of, wow, you get this much with this contract? The most valuable contracts in the NFL are star players on rookie deals. You 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 screw up and strike out on there, man. It can really set your franchise back. So Trevor Penning, I mean, is he – I talk about guys with the most pressure this year. We talked about Jameis Winston, but is Trevor Penning kind of sneaky like – one of the players on this Saints team in 2022, Andrew, that's pressure to perform. That that's putting a lot on a rookie. But on one thing with Alave, well, you you know Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, you can. There, there's something about being the starting left tackle and you're replacing Armstead that I think comes with a little more pressure. It'd be one thing if Alave was just joining the group that the Saints had last year. But assuming Thomas is back, and all signs are pointing to him being back from a health standpoint, and the addition of Jarvis Landry. Where does Penning rank in your rankings of players that 
you know, have the most pressure to perform for the Saints in 2022. Yeah, I, look, I think it's understood that he's raw and that it's going to take some time. He's got all the physical attributes. He's got all the skills, but uh, he, he still needs to figure out how to play the position. Uh, Technique-wise, he's got a lot to clean up, and I, I think the Saints understand that. So, look, I, I think if it took him until midseason to really figure it out, I, I think it would be okay. In, in the sense that I think in, in James Hurst, the Saints have a veteran guy. They have a plan in place to allow Penning to get groomed. So, look, I, I think there's a lot of pressure for Penning to be amazing eventually. Uh, but I don't think there's a ton of pressure for him to be amazing right out of the gate. I, if he is amazing, obviously, that's a huge win for the Saints, and, and, and it would be a big needle mover. Uh, but I think they have a guy in Hurst that can hold it down for a little while if they need him to. So I, I would say there's less pressure on him than maybe a guy like Ruiz, where Ruiz, they really kind of didn't, get a backup for him. I mean, Calvin Throckmorton's still on the team. Maybe Hurst is in the mix if Ruiz falters, but there's not a really great plan at right guard. Uh, so, and, and really there's not a great plan at left guard. So I, I would say the guards, Pete and Ruiz, are really the guys that have the most pressure on them to perform. Uh, you know, as I look at the other side of the ball, obviously Davenport, he's got a long history of injuries. He's in a contract. I look at Marcus Davenport as a guy that he – He's a 10-sack season away from getting a massive contract. Whether it's from the Saints or someone else, uh, he is in line to get an insane free agency deal if he can stay healthy and perform at a high level this year. If he does, and, and look, it's not just about his contract and his future. It, it's how he impacts the Saints, too. I, I think there's a ton of pressure on him to stay healthy and perform for the Saints to have a successful season. We, we've seen what a difference Marcus Davenport makes when he's on the field versus how much, how good the defense plays when he's not. And, and there is a difference there. So, you know, I, to me, those are probably the three guys that stand out immediately as uh, they have to be healthy and, and they have to step up with their play. Davenport is, I've said it often, Andrew, he's like that incredible Ferrari that has a shoddy engine. And when that thing runs, when it's running, it is prettiest car on the road right can win a drag race can do all kind of stuff but you just don't know when you put the keys in the ignition if it's going to start that day and that's him right when when the engine's running it's incredible but i just i regardless of the kind of season he has i hate to even put it that way i would just be so hesitant to give him a long-term deal but if he has a monster season it's obviously great for the saints but then it puts some pressure on him because the injuries it's not like it's been you know, some chronic thing of okay, you got to his knee is always injured. This is a big worry here. No, it's it's always something different. A little thing here, a little thing there, and you know, I I also think the, the two first round picks traded to move up to you know really you gave up a, a future first, but you get it right. You give up a first round pick to get him, and then you have Trey Hendrickson who they let go in free agency and was terrific last year for sin. He's always going to just have this this pressure over him and the fact that it's it's the contract year for him he's obviously going to be extremely motivated but they're they're going to need him in a big way because if he stay if he actually played 16 games andrew i mean the saints defense honestly the 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 sky's the limit because they have so much talent but i if, if i don't know that anybody would take those odds right now regardless of what they are of putting money down that he's going to play 16 games in 2022 
or excuse me, I'm when sorry, 17 games, well, yeah, 17 say, games. I, I'm still getting games, used to it. Are you it. assuming that he's going to get injured for one game, or are you assuming hey, that he's sitting out game hey, 17? You know what? We've already I, got the bye secured. I, I meant to say 17, but 16, shoot, I don't know that anybody would take that number. <laughs> but yeah, 17 it. games. Thank you. Sorry, I caught myself if, toward if, the if end of it. If you told me 16, I, I'm not, if you told me you, I get 16 games out of Davenport, where do I sign? You know, so oh, absolutely. I would take that. I would sign, yeah. I would sign today, uh, man. But, uh, look, again, I, I, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the analogy of the Ferrari is perfect. It really is true. And it, it's not just his performance on the field. It's what it does for everyone else. You know, when he came back healthy and Cam Jordan, you, you just look at the performances that he had late in the season and what an impact Davenport made because now it's not just all the attention on Cam Jordan getting all the double teams. So, you know, it makes a big difference. Uh, as we talk about all of this, though, you know, it's so interesting how last year the strategy was purely just don't get in the way of the defense. Allow our elite defense to win games for us. Don't turn the football over, and that should be enough to win games. And I think in general that was a good strategy. And unfortunately, when Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill played, there were some games that they kind of gave away by getting really loose with the football. And so I, I don't think it was so much that Jameis played amazing. It was that he, he did a good job of not turning the football over with the exception of the Carolina game, which they lost. And the other quarterbacks, not so much. And so that's where you saw losses there. But as we move forward this year, and as we talk about Jameis Winston kind of maybe getting more vertical, I think it's still important to remember, and you, you made this point about, look, this defense is still good. Is it still elite? Well, look, we have new safeties. Uh, Quan Alexander isn't on the team anymore. We saw what a big difference he made. So is Pete Warner, you know, can he stay healthy? Can Demario Davis stay healthy? Uh, but they're good at linebacker, I think, as long as they don't have injuries there. But as you look at this defense, if it can continue to be elite, and that remains to be seen because there's been some changes, and if they can continue to be elite on special teams with the return of Will Lutz, as you said, there's still going to be an element here of playing complementary football that's going to be important. And so I, I, I'm in full support of playing to Jameis Winston's strengths. I'm in full support of letting him spread his wings a little bit because I, I do think Sean Payton didn't trust him and, and was way too conservative with Jameis Winston intentionally. And, and, and I, so I'm looking forward to seeing him get an opportunity to really be himself. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that the Saints won a lot of games last year by playing complementary football. And so that that component is still going to be very important. Andrew Juge has been our guest, co-owner and host of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Most of you listening already have listened to it. If you haven't, go subscribe, listen, have fun with the guys. Final question, Andrew. Who's going to be, or or rather, not going to, who do you think the best team in the NFC is right now? You know, I think money's on the Rams. Uh, obviously, Aaron Donald signed his big deal, and, and him coming back is, is important. But uh, same way about the Rams I did a year ago, which is they, they a couple crippling injuries. Really, they, they haven't built out the depth like some other teams in the NFC have. And so, you know, something happens to Cooper Cup, or something happens to Matt Stafford, something happens to Aaron Donald. At some point, they don't have enough backups because they haven't had the draft picks right to bolster. So a very top heavy team. I think they have the most talent, but if the wheels come off for them, I think 
how things go with some of the other players, I think the drop-off can be pretty quick for the Rams. So I, I think they're a number one, but I think they're a vulnerable number one in that sense. Uh, but gosh, when you look after that, I mean, Russell Wilson has gone from Seattle. Devontae Adams is gone. How, how is the Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is a year older. How is he going to look without Devontae Adams? Still think he's going to be a great quarterback, of course, but is there a drop-off for Green Bay? I think so. Uh, Tampa, how many more years does, does Tom Brady have left physically? Uh, you know, they've had some changes this offseason, so it'll be interesting to see. We have a coaching change, by the way. Uh, so th- does that kind of disrupt things a little bit? Uh, I think Tampa's kind of penciled in as one of those top-tier teams, but a few question marks around them. Uh, and then really, I mean, look, the NFC East, uh, what more can you say? I mean, Dallas, the Eagles, you know, these teams are so up, they're so down. Uh, it's impossible to know what to expect the commanders from one week to the next. I, I think that's the case for a lot of teams in the NFC, the Vikings, you know, that's another team where I, I just think, and, and so to your point, I think as we talk about all these teams, look, the NFC West is obviously the strongest division. They're going to beat up on each other a little bit. I, I think this is kind of wide open and really any of these teams, are, are capable of making the playoffs. I think that I think you can count on the Rams being in the playoffs. But beyond that, I think there could be a lot of changes, and I think the Saints are absolutely a team that could get in the mix and be in the playoffs. Andrew Juge has been our guest. Follow him on Twitter at Andrew Juge on Twitter. That's Andrew J U G E is how you spell Juge. Co-owner and host of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Always love talking Saints with you, Andrew. I appreciate you coming on this Wednesday morning, man. Hopefully Ralph gets back from France safe and, um, you know, not, I just, I just don't want him to go to, to go to jail, like in a foreign prison. I, I he wouldn't survive <laughs> even in France. Well, probably, per- you know, personally nice. I'm rooting for it, but I, I'm sure he appreciates the sentiment. Um, <laughs> but no, Scott, seriously, I, we always appreciate your support. You've been great to our show. Always a pleasure to talk with you as well. And looking forward to doing it again. Soon. Yeah, man. Can't wait. All the best, Andrew. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. All right. Big thanks to Andrew Juge. Up next, Troy Winger, the director of football operations for the Raging Cajuns, is going to come on and talk about a number of things with us. And then assistant baseball coach Anthony Babineau will come in. We're going to hit on a number of things. Obviously, we'll look at the Cajun baseball season as a whole. How much is he going to check out? Super regionals. Uh, what's the offseason like? And he and I usually get into stuff outside of just his line of work in Cajun baseball. That's all coming your way next hour. Don't go anywhere. It's the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. That's a record. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Rage Cajun assistant baseball coach Anthony Babineau joining us uh, in studio in about 10 minutes or so. But joining me now is Dr. Troy Wingerter, a man who is um, had his butt touched by the uh, hands of Brian Mitchell more than anyone else uh, in history. Uh, Brian's Brian's touched your butt more than anyone else's, and that's just the fact, right? I mean, it's that's a fair statement. I mean, he was pretty much quarterback when he went to the pros, so I would venture to say that would be a yes. 
Right. You know, I think it would be a toss-up between myself and the and the late great Cardell Randall, uh, who was there for a couple of years before I got there. So, uh, by the way, I want to say you got the best bumper music in in, in the entire Lafayette metropolitan area. Well, that's, you know, that's very nice of you buttering me up here. I feel like I'm I'm about to get, uh, you know, something. And I don't even me. need anything. You know, I'm good. Troy Wingard, I get. What, what is what is your favorite? Uh, what's you know? your what's your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time? I can't believe I don't think I've maybe I've, I probably asked you this. I just don't remember. But what, what is what is Doctor Wingard's number one on that list? I, I've got to, you know, I'm 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 a, I'm a licensed ill guy. Okay. I grew up, you know, in '87 with. But when, when that was just hitting, you know, that was the, that was the crossover. It made white bread kids like me out of Metri uh, in, in, into Beastie Boys fans and, 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 and kind of opened that door for us to, to, to run DMC right. uh, and, and that whole genre that I've really never really been exposed to. So I would venture to say No Sleep to Brooklyn okay. is up there, uh, even though if you really, if you really helped me to it, I would say Girls. Okay, but, well, you know, that's just kind of where I am. That's funny. You know? That's like the song that they're like most embarrassed about as they get older. Um, but you know, if if you Guilty get pleasures, like, right? uh, if you get the nursery rhyme for Beastie Boys album, which you know my kids had when they were very young and they don't remember, they just heard it at night. That's probably the best one on there. Now it doesn't have any words, but you know, just the ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it just works, man. It just works. Um, it does. Dr. Wingard, our guest, Troy, uh, director of football operations, Troy Wingard, former education center as well. Man, what, what's, what's the, the off season like? Because I know there's, there's a little bit of time to decompress, but it's not like the clock stops for very long on the job. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a short period where maybe you get to, you know, vacation, maybe time with the family. But what what's the job like this time of year for you? It's been a it's been a mad dash. It's it's been kind of like a game of whack a mole. I'll be honest with you, like like a like a five or six month game of whack a mole. Uh, with, with with you know, Coach Dez coming in, new staff coming in, uh, lots of holes in our operations staff in conjunction with filling other positions, uh, and then. Re- reinventing ourselves uh, and, 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 and figuring out kind of the, the, not just the coaching spots that we got to fill in, but some of the player spots we're filling in. So it, that's what it kind of feels like. I once upon a time would have used the term uh, about sticking your finger in the holes in the dike, but I think that's no longer politically correct. So I'll just say something like playing whack-a-mole. Right, right. Um, you, you could say, you know, just crazy just... Um, <laughs> and, and, and awesome at the same time. The opportunity to work with a guy like Coach Dez who you you know secretly as a player you admired him for everything he did and then as a high school coach and then I remember when George Munoz and I went into Mark Hudson's office and said you have got to hire this guy uh, it worked out really well for me because uh, I got to keep my job I didn't get hired I didn't get fired for the fifth time I've only been fired four times now for my alma mater instead of five but it's been a crazy time Scott you know we are um, we, we're bringing in new players literally all of our new guys came in. On uh, on Tuesday of last week, we got them all moved in the, in the Legacy Park. So uh, th- there is no there is no downtime. There never is downtime when you go from recruiting in the spring ball into into uh, all of your newcomers showing up here uh, for the first days of class in the summer. Uh, it, it's a constant, uh, it's a constant uh, evolving process that, that that keeps us on our toes for sure. That rotisserie chicken, man, it just keeps spinning and spinning. Um, it, it's, it does. It's, it's busy time. Um, I know that, you know, shoot, I, I don't, I'd have to Google it, but I would venture to say we're 90 days, maybe a little less until 
until kickoff. When you put it in those terms, it uh, it really it, it just it's going to be here before you know it. Uh, in the meantime, it really is. I know uh, I know every summer you guys have different camps. Um, you know, I, I know there, there was the 2020 year with COVID. It was one thing, but for the most part, this has been a consistent thing. Uh, you know, and you know, you mentioned how many times you've been fired. I just think you've been hired more than anybody. That's the way to look at it, Doctor Wingerter. That's exactly what my wife says. You see, mm-hmm. you guys are all on the same page, and see I think that? she's a rock star. So that puts you in the same camp. All right, I'll I'll take it. Uh, I mean, you've been hired plenty of times uh, by your alma mater, and you know, you you've seen you know the program evolve. You've seen these camps evolve. When is when are the football camp? When are the football camps um, happening? And you know, to all the listeners of the community, just fill everybody in a little bit on what they entail now and, and how people can get involved. Sure, and and, and to give you the 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 thirty second version of it, you know, camps have changed. Camps used to be these multiple day overnight camps where kids came over, high school kids came over, and we spent four days of in-depth instruction on these guys. And, and, and it's, it's not like that anymore. Camps have just are, are, are these eval eval opportunities. They're, they're basically a, an arm of recruiting. Now it's an opportunity to get kids on your campus in a much shorter period of time, but go ahead and, and get a chance to evaluate their ability. And, and because of that, because we've gotten away from the instructional aspect of things, we've, we've, we, we, we had a, a gap there for a little while. And coach Nate was here, what, you know, kids camps weren't a thing that he was really, we were focused on recruiting, so uh, we ended up making the transition into uh, into these one day uh, um, showcase camps for youth. Uh, and a showcase sounds like it would be uh, it would be like an ID camp where we're going to evaluate them, but we're not. Uh, it's an opportunity for you to send your young man uh, or, or or young lady over to our place, and um, and they uh, get an opportunity to work with our players and, and learn some fundamentals. But we don't make it like we used to. We put them into an, uh, an eight-station uh, country fair type, county fair type scenario where we worked them to death just so their parents could pick them up and they were exhausted and they go to bed and they got home. Uh, this is really about them coming over, having a good time, and getting to know our players and getting to to to, to be raging Cajun fans. You know, building uh, you know a kinship with the community, but also learning the game, having fun. What what are the ages for these camps, Troy? We don't have pretty much any kind of limitation here. All right, I'm going to show up. Typically, this camp would be would I'm be gonna... would be kind of a, a second gra- second grade through through eighth grade type camp. Okay, uh, we're going to be doing these on. I'm so sorry, Scott. I cut you off. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say if they're for everybody, I'll I'll show up. But then you said really you, you're <laughs> kind of gearing more for second to eighth grade. But uh, but no, that no. I, honestly, I mean, it's the, I've known some kids that have gone. Um, they've all had a blast, right? And, you know, you learn the game. It's a great thing for your kids to do in the summertime, trust me. So uh, when is it? How can they get involved? And, it, and it's free. Free. But we, don't, we do this as a service to the community. We don't do this as a fundraiser. We don't do this as a moneymaker. For us, this is about giving back to the community. And, and we want that to be the, the key piece that we give to our players, that our players understand that this is about giving back to the community and be a part of it. So we have two camps. We're going to do two showcases this summer. Actually, one of them is going to be tomorrow. Uh, our first camp is on June the 9th, uh, our first showcase camp. And uh, if you go to RagingCajuns.com and you click on the camps link, uh, you'll be able to get the exact times uh, that we're starting tomorrow. And then um, uh, we will do the same thing on the 23rd. 23rd of June, we'll have another showcase camp uh, for kids to come out. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so, so tomorrow, June 9th. I was right there. And then, and then Thursday, June 23rd. 
Uh, it's free. F R E, my favorite four letter F word. It is, um, you know, again, rageoccasions.com. Uh, you go to camps from there. You can learn a lot more about it, but uh, bring the kids. So what, what, Troy, where should they, should they drop them off? Do they sign up sure. online? How does that all work? I can't tell you how many parents we have stick around. If they want to stick around and they want to watch and take pictures, we're going to do majority of everything either in the indoor practice facility or down the game field, depending on what the weather does. Uh, parents are welcome to stick around, take pictures, especially when it comes to interacting with our student athletes. Um, but uh, as mentioned, the, the, the initial uh, sign-in uh, slash registration will be done in the lobby of the Student Athlete Performance Center at 202 Reinhardt Drive. There it is. So we're doing these camps, uh, or this showcase for that matter, to coincide with OTAs. The OTAs are, are, are uh, optional training uh, activities that our players do when our coaches are not out there. So uh, we're going to try and time that up. Uh, right now, registration begins at 4 o'clock in the lobby of the SAPC. And then at 4.15, uh, we will start the process. We'll show the kids around. They'll get a full tour of the facility. Uh, they'll get a chance to meet a lot of the coaches and our strength conditioning coaches and stuff like that uh, with the idea of getting down onto the field to meet the players right at the end of OTAs at 5 o'clock. And then from 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock, uh, they'll spend time with our student-athletes and with our coaches uh, learning some fundamentals uh, at, at whatever position they feel uh, that they want to learn at. I know historically we've kind of taught everybody everything, but in this particular case we're going to go ahead and, and just do it by position. Can they do quarterback and can you just bend over and they can just put their hands, you know, like you're going to snap them the ball and just do the Brian Mitchell to you? You know, nobody nobody takes nobody takes snaps under, under, under center anymore. You know, it's all shot. It's all gun stuff. So – uh, unless it's victory. I do want to point out that the only time anybody touches anybody's butt now is in victory. Dr. Troy Wingerter has been our guest. Uh, it's tomorrow. It's free. You got a kid anywhere from second grade to eighth grade. Boy, girl, it's awesome. Uh, RageyCages.com camps to learn more, but uh, 4.15 tomorrow, go out. Uh, enjoy yourself. They'll do it again uh, two weeks from tomorrow on Thursday, June 23rd. Dr. Wingerter. Yes, sir. Appreciate the time as always, my friend. Thank you, Scott. From one Rage of Cajun life or do another. That's Troy Wingerter. Anthony Babineau joins us next on The Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.